You're listening to the Farmyard Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Farmyard. It's a movement, have you heard? And our Patreon supporters. The Flower Farmer with host Linda Borgie and guest Lisa Ziegler. Well, hello there. Linda Borgie here from Farmyard. It's a movement, have you heard? How are you on this glorious day? I'm recording this in January, and it is cold outside. Some of you that have been listening to uh, the Farmyard podcast know that I've moved from Beaufort, South Carolina, started in the Hudson Valley of New York State, then went down to Beaufort, South Carolina, and I was there for a couple of years, and now I am in Silver Springs, Maryland. So it's been quite the transformation going from the south to the, now the I guess uh, Silver Springs isn't really the north. Being a Jersey girl, I would think, you know, up that always would be more north. But anyway, I have a very bright, bright, bright episode for you today, a very bright guest Um, This particular guest was recommended by one of our previous uh, uh, guests, Shwana Coronado. She wrote the book, The Wellness Garden, and we just hit it off pretty well. And if you didn't get that book yet, please go out and get it. It's one that you really need in your toolbox. And she said to me, Linda, you've got to contact Lisa Ziegler. I mean, other than you and me, I've never heard anyone refer to soil and compost in the way that the three of us do. So I did. I contacted Lisa, and Lisa is a flower farmer, and she's also the author of two books, one that came out in 2014 called Cool Flowers with a C, C C-O-O-L, and another book that's coming out March 29th, and that is called Why Do Vegetables Love Flowers? So let me bring Lisa on so we could ask her some questions like, why do vegetables love flowers? So Lisa, are you there? I am here, Linda. Hi, how are you? I'm great, and it's a pleasure to be here with you. Thank you so much for coming on and taking this time. I know how busy farming is. It doesn't allow you an awful lot of free time to do, you know, whatever the heck you want. So I really appreciate your time. I would love to start off with just a little bit of your background, like how many brothers and sisters you have, where you grew up, and when and why you became a flower farmer. Sure. So I am um, in southeastern Virginia. Um, I live in my husband's grandparents' homestead where um, they were 75 years ago. Um, I was born here in Newport News, and actually my family home is only about 10 miles from where I am now. I have an older brother and a younger sister. Um, They both live within five miles of where I live, and um, we're pretty thick in family. My husband's family is the same. All his siblings live right here, and they have a family business, and um, my flower farm, um, plus some other things, is a family business, and... um, so we're pretty thick, as we say it, in family around here, and we love it. We just love it. I've never heard that term before, pretty thick in family. 
Yeah, well, you know, it's a, as you can tell from my twang, Your twang. Um, people think I'm from Georgia, but I was born and raised right here in Newport News, Virginia. Um, but yeah, we're, 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 we're pretty um, heavy in family, you would say. It's funny. It's funny. I'm the oldest of eight. Wow. Yeah, so I'm going to start using that term. You're thick. <laughs> we're that thick in family. My goodness, just when I look at my nieces and nephews, very thick. So, But but you guys have stayed right there. You were born, raised, and you're, you're, so you're really embedded in that community. We are. I'm from both sides. My husband and myself were both from strong entrepreneurial families, mm-hmm. um, lots of entrepreneurs in our family. And and I think that that generally kind of keeps you where you are. You know, you go into business and put, as we like to say, we're rooted in like turnips here. You know, we're, we're not going anywhere. So um, and both of our families participate heavily in our day to day lives. Um so, yeah, it's, it's pretty wonderful. We love it. So, okay, so now you decide you're going to be a flower farmer. I mean, how did that manifest in your life? How old were you? What gave you that feeling? Why did you, what, what, what made you do that, go down sure. that road? Sure. So I actually did not come from a real gardening family. My family just had a landscape um, and I started dabbling in garden about gardening about 30 years ago and just kind of fell in love with it, as most people do once you start doing it. Then I just so happened to meet this great guy who happened to come with this great, great piece of property <laughs> and a bunch of gardening implements. Um, and I happened to pick up the same book that you mentioned that you read, Lynn Bozinski's The Flower Farmer, oh, and knew I had found my dream. And I went from being a single girl paying my own mortgage mm-hmm. to not having to bring home the bacon anymore. And I loved my job. I was a business manager of an animal hospital for 18 years. And I love that job, but I was able to quit that job to pursue flower farming. And as they say, the rest is history. It just, everything fell into place. Um, And here we are 20 years later. 20 years later and two books later. Yeah, because I really piggybacked. Yeah, what I do also need to say is that I'm an urban flower farmer. I am in the middle of a city of 200,000 people. I'm the last commercial farmer in what was once a very large Mennonite farming community. I'm last man standing, you might say. Mm. And um, so I'm a novelty, but I'm landlocked. Um, And so I I only have three acres. um, And so I always knew that I couldn't be a big, big producer, although I learned that I didn't need to be a big producer. Um, We produce at high season when I was going full, full throttle. 10 to 15,000 stems of flowers a week from this little farm. Um, But back when I was developing my farm, I knew I needed other ways to generate income um, for my business because I was limited in land. And so I've piggybacked a lot of other writing books, lecturing, um, doing a lot of teaching and on-farm workshops and um, just a lot of, you know, my fingers are in a lot of different pieces of pie. Well, yeah, you know, and I think that's very important to diversification because if you look at anything, 
you want diversity, whether it be soil, whether it be people, you know, you want diversity. That's what makes it very, very interesting, very interesting as well. Now, we were talking a little bit before we, uh, before you came on the call, and you were mentioning that in the past five to eight years, flower farming has really, you know, taken off in our country. Can you get into a, a little bit more information in that area for us? Sure. sure. So what most people don't realize that just 30 years ago, 80% of the flowers purchased in this country were grown in this country. Well, that flip-flopped about 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. And today, um, the numbers are almost completely opposite. of the flowers that people purchase are actually um, grown in South America Mm -hmm. and imported. Mm -hmm. And people just really do not um, know that. Mm -hmm. And so in the past five to seven years, um, we're familiar with slow food. I'm sorry, I didn't hear that last you went, Are oh, you familiar with the term slow food? A lot of people. Oh yeah, slow food. Okay. Why don't you Why don't you explain it to the listeners? Sure. So slow food is a movement that started many. I don't know how many years ago it was. About it's be about twenty now. It's was about, twenty about eating local and eating seasonally? You know, eating what's growing. You know, in your region. And so slow food really started the movement. Well, about. Um, I'm not sure. Deborah Prenzine, who is a good friend, um, started a movement about five, maybe eight years ago called Slow Flowers. It's the same principle, but just applied to flowers. And along with that, the Association of Specialty Cut Flower Growers um, really kind of came on this, was already on the scene. Um, But we both started working for the same purpose was to educate people about where their flowers are coming from Mm -hmm. and that they used, they're not grown in this country Mm -hmm. and there are options for people to buy local American grown flowers. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that kind of started a movement of where we have seen in the last five to eight years, this influx of flower farmers, people that are choosing this as their careers. Um, and mo- most of them are small growers, just like me, people that have under five acres, some that just have an acre serving their local floral trade. Um, and it's really taken. I mean, it's a wave right now. Um, we, there's lots of conferences that I attend and, we just are so excited about how many young people and married couples. And anyway, it's become a viable career and it's a very, very exciting. You can visit the um, Association of Specialty Cut Flower Growers online and there's all kinds of information there. And there's a documentary you can watch that we made um, a couple of years ago that really tells about the flower industry. And what's the name of that documentary? Um, local flowers. Oh, I should know the name of this. Local flowers. Local growers. It's on. It's on um, YouTube also. Well, you know and, what, Lisa will send those over to me, and I'll make sure that both of those links, all of the links, yes. uh, will go in the show notes, so you won't have any trouble, you know, getting there. Well, I have a. That's that is so interesting because, um, 
You know, I, as I had mentioned to you and to the listeners that at one point in time, I was a, uh, actually I was a salesperson for a cut flower importer out of Creskill, New Jersey. And so I know that, um, all of these flowers were coming from all over the world. I mean, South America mostly with the roses. And, you know, when you start looking into how these flowers are being grown, I started to really freak out by people smelling roses, actually putting roses to their nose because of all the poisons that were being placed on them and and that they were being grown with. So it's really nice to see a local movement because generally speaking, if you're a small farmer, number one, you've got a different consciousness with the earth beneath your feet because you don't have massive amounts to take care of. There's no hectares involved. Would you agree with that, Lisa? I would. So you really have, you really, that your focus, your focus on your soil, because, you know, farming, our biggest deal is we don't grow plants, we grow soil. Once you grow soil, the plants grow themselves. Exactly. Right? So exactly. It, it really, it's a matter of teaching people how to grow the soil. So, but, but what's so exciting, first I want to ask, I want to ask Lisa a question. Here's the question, Lisa. So, why do vegetables love flowers? Well, Linda, what most people um, don't think of or realize is that Nature provides the most powerful pest controllers, pollinators, um, and basically the workers of nature um, that will come into your garden and um, take care of business. When we invite them and when we don't kill them um, using pesticides and the way that we invite them is with flowers and Many a vegetable gardener I know is struggling with trying their best to be an organic grower, to not a gardener, to not use chemicals, to, to, to do this, this vision that people have of, you know, the good bugs eating the bad bugs and pollinators are abundant and um, they want that picture. Well, the way you get that picture is you must have flowers present in your vegetable patch from the first crack of spring right up until frost. Why would the good bugs come to your garden if there's no flowers? I mean, really? And because that's what they're there for. I mean, they're coming for the flowers. And so Vegetables Love Flowers um, is really all about the tagline for this book is Vegetables Love Flowers is the name of the book. And the tagline is Companion Planting for Beauty and Bounty. This is not a book that tells you to plant A next to B. This is a book that teaches you that the ultimate companion planting is having flowers present all the time and do not use pesticides because even organic pesticides affect pollinators and beneficial insects. And by, I mean, it takes about two years after You've gone off chem drugs, as we say it, to really see nature in action. But I live this, um, this life. You know, I've been a farmer for 20 years. The first seven or eight, I used pesticides um, until I woke up. And um, so we live this. And that's what Vegetables Love Flowers is all about, is just 
introducing people to this concept that it's all about the soil. It's all about you don't need to use chemicals and how they cannot, how they can garden without using pesticides. That's why people use pesticides is they want to fix their problem. And Vegetables Love Flowers shows them how to prevent problems. Instead of chasing around, looking for the fix, you prevent the problems from ever happening. And that allows you to focus on growing better and greater stuff. Now, how did you, um, how did you actually come to know this? Becoming a flower farmer, you know, and I kind of write that story. The introduction of the book um, is all about how I married into this vegetable gardening family and, um, you know, they didn't really grow flowers at all. They grew vegetables and I wanted to grow some flowers and I started putting a row here, putting a row there. And then my little business of selling those flowers took off so well from the get go that I was so overwhelmed because I was also growing vegetables for our family and extended family Mm -hmm. plus growing my little flower business. And before, and I was using pesticides from time to time when I had a problem flare up and then I got so overwhelmed. I just didn't have time to do anything about pests. I mean, literally I just abandoned the garden to have its own way with itself and just kept on growing. And I suddenly realized after a year or two that, you know, I'm just not seeing out of control problems um, in my garden. And I mean, it sounds so simple and it's not that simple day to day, but it really is simple when you stand back and overview it. Yes, I still had some outbreaks of pests because you have to have pests for the good bugs to have something to eat. The good bugs eat the pest bugs and pollinators were just, I mean, you can hardly walk through our garden in the afternoon um, because the pollinators are so abundant, bumblebees and native bees and our neighbors, honeybees. And um, so, you know, I just kind of woke up one day and thought, wow, this is the way that a person imagines, imagines that nature works. A garden full of butterflies and birds eating pests and bees and you know what I mean all the good things um and you know that's what I share in the book is how it happened to me and how you can implement some of those steps at home I tell you it's exactly the experience that I've had in my life I mean living in Beaufort South Carolina uh, I was there for two years and when I arrived there was nothing but fire ant drilling holes I had never seen the lack of soil. It was like sand, completely sand. But I knew that through, you know, biodynamics, I was uh, farming biodynamically, using biodynamic methods, bringing in organic material, wood chips, you know, uh, mushroom compost, that I could build that up. And within within two years, the second season, I had cultivated... uh, 600 square feet and I had 500 zinnias growing on those 600 square feet Yeah, amongst nasturtiums and morning glories and I'd walk I'd go out there at a certain hour in the morning you know quarter after 10 and there'd be all those butterflies I felt like Alice in Wonderland 
It's true. But when I was in a Disney movie, I would sit in the living room and they would just dance in front of the front window. So it does. We need the pollinators. We do not need grass. We absolutely need to dig up that grass. 80 million pounds of pesticides a year gets put on turf grass. Yeah. I mean, it's the really something, something so, uh, so has to give. But you know, there was another um, aspect of your business that was so interesting about this book. When this book comes out on March 29th, did I hear you correctly that you're going to have an online course with this book? It's actually, we call it a virtual book study. Okay. It, it's free. Uh-huh. And so what will happen is you can go to our website, which is thegardenersworkshop.com, and just go to the book on the store like you're going to buy one. And right there's a button where you can sign up for my virtual book study. And what will happen is starting in February, we'll shoot out an email each week with a little short video of kind of like the making of Vegetables Love Flowers. There'll be... Um, I'll be talking about how the book came to be and I'll have a little chat with the photographer, Bob Shammerhorn out of Richmond, Virginia, who is an award winning nature photographer. He's amazing. We'll talk with Bob. And anyway, so we'll weekly build up to when the book is launched. And then once the book is launched, we'll go through the book chapter by chapter with me kind of connecting the dots a little deeper um, and, you know, just kind of digging into the book um, together week by week. So yeah, that's a lot of fun. I did that for, there's a cool flowers book study on my website. You can get your copy of cool flowers, read a chapter and then watch the video. And it just brings it all home. It connects the dots really great for folks. It's so important because, you know, we are, we are so dumbed down in this area. We are not teaching, nor are we taught the skills to grow anything. Right. I mean, it's just, you know, we used to have home economics and and woodworking class and automobile. Now there's nothing. Yeah. I mean, we're graduating now, students from the university that a lot of them don't know how to boil an egg nor balance a checkbook. And that's not fair. Yeah. So I agree with you. It's all about, and you know, I didn't, like I mentioned earlier that I didn't come from a gardening family. So I kind of had to figure everything out. And then I married into a big gardening family. And that really pushed me ahead because I do have to disclose now that the place that I farm was composted for 80 years before I got here. Oh, dear Lord. Oh, my God. And and Shauna, I'm surprised Shauna, our mutual friend, Surprised she didn't say to you, I say in my lectures, um, because I go to all the Mother Earth News lectures that are all over the country, and my line in one of them about seed starting is that our soil is so amazing here because of the way it's been treated for all these years. All I have to pretty much do is hold up a seed packet and show it to the soil and it about grows. That's what she said. She did tell me. (laughs) You just throw it out to the wind and it just, wherever it lands, it just grows. It just, she And that's how it is when you have great soil. People don't understand that. When you take care of your soil, everything else falls into place. And that's when you really love gardening. And in my opinion, it is your obligation to learn how to garden 
which means gardening without pesticides and chemicals. Because it can be done. You owe it to yourself, your grandkids, and everybody else that's around um, to do that. And so chemicals and pesticides are shortcuts most often, and that's not the way to do it. Not at all. And like we were, we were uh, discussing earlier uh, before the call, is that when you begin to have a relationship with that earth beneath your feet, other things start to shift. Oh, yeah. It's such an interesting progression. Uh, and you're right. I like that. I like that uh, the way you put it. You owe yourself. You owe it to everybody. You, you owe it. Really, really I mean, do. I, I do a lot of lecturing to flower farmers, and I am taking the stance now, you know, as you kind of grow and maul things over, I think it's your obligation to learn how to grow it without pesticides and then there of course there's some things that I would never grow because it is nearly impossible to grow them without pesticide use Mm -hmm. and because you're not growing them in their natural setting you know and you're in what your conditions are and so yeah I mean you gotta we have to share that message with people a it's possible b it's not it's less work in the long run and it is so much easier than, I mean, trying to use all these different things. You kill more plants with chemicals than you help them. Well, I never could understand how we could use things that kill in order to grow things that support life. I didn't understand that concept from the beginning and then thinking about it and then studying it, you know, there was a time that all food was organic. Yeah, that is the original way to garden. People don't quite understand that. That's yeah. the way the world was made to work. Yeah, and and we just have we could look in our country right back to the Victory Gardens. Yep, we don't that's right. And what did they grow in the Victory Garden? A row of flowers with the vegetables. I'm telling you. I know. I see it. I see it in every map. Well, you know, Lisa. I think what we're going to have to do is we're going to have to make a little series with you, Missy, and uh, get you to come on here again and give us some, um, you know, updated information, especially after the book is uh, published on the 29th. And I know you had mentioned to me when we spoke a week ago that there's one day a year, is it, or a weekend, that people come, that your farm is open and people come from all over the world to visit you. Yes. Um, so our farm is, I'm in the middle of the city, as I mentioned earlier, and we're not set up to have parking and that kind of stuff. So that's why we're not open to the public, but we do open one day a year. And, um, it is, I'm looking as we're talking here, it's in June and, um, it's free and it's from 9am to two on a Saturday. And it is June 23rd this year. And we do have people that come from all over, um, everywhere to come and to just kind of see, can you do this in the city? Can you farming and doing what we do? And um, we'd love to have people come. And um, our website, thegardenersworkshop.com, has a calendar that has that date, plus many others of my appearances, um, and also our workshops. We just opened registration on our on-farm workshops, which we just started doing last year. Um, and we have some home garden 
days, and then we have three um, flower farming days, the getting in and figuring out how to do it. Um, so, yeah, check it out. Sounds great. Well, I think we did good. I think we did good uh, for people that aren't millenniums, huh? <laughs> we got on the call. We got it recorded. Yes. And we're moving the information. It's just showing people that we really care because, honest to goodness, I don't think either of us really have to do this. No. Right? I mean, no, it's all about choice. That's it. And, and we're going to get this uh, food train wreck turned around. Well, thanks again, Lisa. I truly appreciate you giving us your time and, boy, all the information we received. And can't wait to get your book. Why do vegetables love flowers? Thank you, Linda. Well, thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you, thank you, Patreon, uh, Patreon pledgers. How can we do it without your pledges, right? I mean, all of our podcasts are free on iTunes. So this way you are supporting the movement. Thank you very much. Well, I will, as usual, I will see you on the flip side. And until then, go farm your yard. This podcast is community supported. We thank everyone for tuning in. And a special thank you goes out to all our Patreon supporters. If you enjoy our content, please subscribe and share. You can help support us through Farm Yard, all one word, on patreon.com.